Mr. Bell, Bell, um, but we've lost it. So this is a what instrument is this? I'm holding. That's, that's a go-go bell. <laughs> is that what it's called? Yeah. This is the sound of a go-go bell. So um, we have obviously a lot to talk about. Um, there's an unpredictability to politics over the last three years that much, we have hopefully covered. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we've hopefully covered um, through Brexit, through Trump, through Corbyn. And we're still in that same place now, um, and what we've got to discuss today is the party conference season. The UK political parties uh, have been Lib Dems, we're in Brighton. Brighton uh, Labour have been in Liverpool for the weekend, and the Conservatives will be in Birmingham this weekend, so we're going to discuss that. Uh, we have a controversial nomination to the US Supreme Court uh, by Donald Trump, we're going to discuss that, and we'll preview the midterm elections that are coming up in America at the start of November. Very exciting. David, happy with that? I'm so happy with it, uh, with the one caveat yep. that it took a student remember finding something out about the Lib Dem conference for me to realise that it had just happened. Yeah. And that, that's a good place to start, isn't let's, it? Well, let's do the Lib Dems first then, because they, uh, they go first in the conference season. Um, but yeah, the point is, no one really noticed that much. They've well, there was the attention grab from Vince Cable that he may resign at some point and anyone else can have his job. Because he's 75. Five. Um, so it, it feels unlikely that he'll be the leader at the next general election. Bernie Sanders is like 78 or whatever. That's true. Bernie Sanders is on that. Calls him 69, 70. Yeah, but he, I suppose what, what Miss Pinder was saying of their, the, basically they were trying to sort of imply that they might get Gina Miller, the anti-Brexit campaigner, as a leader. But the way the the, the idea of getting a, le- a leader who is not even in Parliament, let alone in the Commons, seems to be somewhat radical. But yeah. also at the late at the Liberal Dem conference, Gina Miller was the guest speaker, and when asked if she was a member of the Liberal Democrat. No, if she had any intention of joining the Liberal Democrats. She's not even a member. No. Yeah. Uh, so she was quite clear that she wasn't going to join any political party. Uh, so not a great choice. The Lib Dems, because obviously the rule books in most parties are that you must be a sitting MP to stand as the leader. And the Lib Dems, because they have so few sitting MPs, 12, 12 to be exact, thought, well, let's expand this, invite anyone. Because of those 12, one is Vince Cable. One's Tim Farron. One's Tim Farron, so they're not going to. Clegg doesn't want to come back at any point. Clegg mania is gone. He's dead mania. It's basically going to be Joe Swinton, isn't it? She doesn't want it. I thought she said she did. Never mind. Yeah, okay. I think the the point is that the Lib Dem conference, if the only discussion really is about whether the leader is going to go or not, that sounds like a bit of a a bit of a damp squib. Well, that other big discussion was obviously that they are the party of Remain and that doesn't seem to be doing very well as a rallying point for them and maybe they need to move on with a, a new focus to their party but they haven't got one yet yeah yeah the, the whole party of remain thing the, the, the most surprising thing of the post um, the post brexit referendum situation regarding the Dems is that it should be given that uh, labor have been to say the least ambiguous about what their 
Brexit policy actually is, to the extent that I think various front benches of this week said various different things about it, why aren't the Lib Dems doing better? Yeah. Well, the, the coalition years just seems to have damaged them irrecoverably, doesn't it? That they, you know, they, they promised to get that they wouldn't vote for tuition fees, and then they went back on that promise. And it, it's like it's like they have no constituency to vote for them because they did get for a long time a lot of young people's votes based on their opposition to the Iraq War, based on their opposition to tuition fees. Um, the Iraq War now is too long ago, effectively, and Labour, of course, is led by someone now who opposed the Iraq War. So, like, who, who would vote for the Liberal Democrats? The, the spike in their vote came in 2005, didn't it? Based yeah. on those two big issues. Yeah. And as you say, it's, they're no longer issues, really, that they, they have any sort of ownership over anymore. Yeah. For all elections, basically, ever since we've had a modern our modern party system, the Labour Party has dominated under 30 votes. And for that brief window of 2005-2010, that was when the Lib Dems were more popular. The Lib Dems were more popular amongst under 30s for that brief period, mm. and that's how ended. So yeah. what, what is their USP? Well, are they not the party that has said they want the 1p tax that will be solely for the NHS? Rather than sort of all your taxes yeah, redistributed so wherever you at government discretion, they want an isolated NHS tax. But so maybe in, that'll carry some traction. But back in the period that Peter was talking about with 2005, one of their selling points was they said they'd add, I can't remember exactly, but a bit like that for education. And again, mm -hmm. that was like a good thing for young people or whatever, or left wing people. But again, now Jeremy Corbyn is leader of the Labour Party, then presumably, I don't know exactly what he's promised, but. Snookered. They've been, yeah. Yeah, they've been absolutely snookered. Can we just talk and even with one of them spider things on the table, yeah, so you won't be able to I can't, I can't expand do on it. That Can we just talk about exotic present? <laughs> just so you've said it. I don't, I don't want to be the one that explains it. So well, yeah, Vince Cable wants to say that the Conservatives were in an erotic spasm <laughs> over, over Brexit. Yeah, I think that deserves a ding on the bell, bell, like anything does. <laughs> and if you wanted to say that, but you messed it up and said exotic present, which made no sense to anyone, apart from being quite funny. But why did anyone think that erotic spasm was good? Well, I know. Uh, uh, it's 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 cable. Uh, so, but they, they are in the news. They are in the news for that for those really? couple of days. More than they have been all summer for that gap. Have we already talked about them too much? Possibly. Yeah, I think so. Uh, right, so after, <laughs> let's up. move on. Yeah. Uh, the Labour Party held its conference in Liverpool uh, over the weekend and was expected, I suppose two things expected really, one is divisions because of this question uh, of mandatory reselection, which one of us will have to explain, I think, carefully, uh, and also uh, divisions over Brexit. So, I, I don't know. Should we, should we start with mandatory reselection and yeah. then someone else do Brexit? Because I've talked about it too much already. Right, okay. so, in the Labour Party, we now have lots of MPs who, broadly speaking, are centre-left. Um, who are from the sort of democratic socialist wing of the party. They're, I mean, a lot of people on the left would call them Blairites. They're, they're Blairites, it's not, it's, they're not really, but they, they are not as left-wing as Jeremy Corbyn, I think it's fair to say. And as a result, a lot, the, the, the new members of the party who've all come in since 2015, when Jeremy Corbyn was elected as leader, they've come in as part of that leadership process, and then since then, the, many different areas of MPs are unhappy that they have a, an MP who does not back the kind of Corbyn project as they see it. They've generally been critical of him over various things, including anti-Semitism, 
and those members who support Corbyn are unhappy with, with those MPs doing that. Now, one of the things that people on the left of the party wanted for a long time is this idea of mandatory reselection, i.e. Um, MPs don't just automatically get to stand again in their constituency, but they have to get the backing of their local constituency party to be allowed to do so. So, the idea basically is that their local constituency is allowed to, to, to say, we don't want this person as an MP. A really good example is Stella Creasy, who is an MP for, uh, well, Bethlehem Walthamstow, uh, and um, she is not a pro-Corbyn candidate, she's more, she's for the progress wing of the party, which is sort of more, again, Blair and David Miller back the line. So, she, so her local party, which is, which is very left wing, don't really want her, and if they, now that they've got this idea of, of being allowed to select their MPs coming in, that's going to mean that it's harder for those MPs to stay as MPs, and it's likely that far more left-wing candidates are going to be put forward by the Labour Party. And it's the division, isn't it, between the, the party members who want someone who's more radical, and probably the voters in that constituency who probably don't. Yeah, and it's a problem. Like, so someone stood up on stage at the Labour conference and got booed for that. So uh, a delegate said, Hang on, remember that the MPs aren't just representing you as members, they're also representing the voters who voted for them. And the person got booed. And they were like, no, they don't represent the voters. Boo, voters. So, um, yeah, that, that is what... So they're definitely not going to be trialling the open hustings where anyone can go. It's going to be more close. No, it's going to be... Well, yeah, so it, it, <coughs> you could say it's more democratic in a party sense. But just because it's more democratic for the party doesn't mean it's more democratic for everyone. Isn't this the whole point of the Corbyn project? The whole point at the start was about changing the party. That was really the focus. In fact, they were criticised in the first year of David Minister of his leadership for being just focused on the party, looking inward, not looking outward. Then they had the unexpected election. Then they had the you know, much better performance than all the polls were suggesting, certainly when the election was triggered and called by May. So that's now changed a little bit. The Corbyn project started as let's change Labour Party has now become, in many people's eyes, a credible opposition with a very good chance of perhaps winning the next election. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the party organisation thing is quite interesting because it, it comes down to what, what's known as the iron law of oligarchy, which is that an organisation, any organisation actually, you could think about school or anything in the same way, if, if it's run by its members, then it will be really extreme and not, not widely popular. Whereas if it's run by its leadership, the leadership will do things that the whole country wants. So you think about it in a school, uh, if, the school if the decisions in the school were all taken by the kids, it's not going to work. Extreme. Yeah. 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 Okay. But if, if the decisions in the school were taken by the leadership in the school, then one assumes that they would take decisions in the interest of, of everybody, including the local community and all that. And parties are similar. That if, if the just the party members are choosing what happens, then they're going to be ideologically extreme and probably unpopular with the rest of the country. But your point, Mike, is that maybe that's not true anymore. That actually maybe these ideas are popular with the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. But however, it, is, it doesn't mean it's not more extreme. It yeah. may be just because we've had a kind of general period of wage deflation and other problems that are economic, people are more willing to listen to extreme solutions. And so when I say extreme, Labour Party, most of what Labour Party would be wasn't actually extreme, no, all the Conservatives, the, like, they weren't extreme, they were just further left and further right than they have been previously. And so a lot of the, sorry, a lot of those Blairite candidates 
saw that manifesto and went, yeah, I can sell this on the, on the doorstep. And they actually, it was quite positive, wasn't it? And it was part of the positive kind of story of that uh, campaign for Corbyn. So the, the, so the, the, the Corbyn machine controlled the Labour Party, but they've got this big issue with Brexit, which is that they, they can't quite agree on their policy. The closest they appear to have got to an agreement is what we're going to do, the Noel Edmonds um, scenario, which is a, a referendum at the end of the process on deal or no deal. So not remain not being on the agenda, but simply, do you accept the deal that Theresa May's government has come up with with the EU, or would you rather leave the EU with no deal? And that's what John McDonnell has kind of yeah. come up with. And then, uh, then, then Keir Starmer came out the next day and said, no, actually, Brexit could be on the agenda. If you're being cynical about this, you could say that they're trying to send mixed messages to try and still appeal to as many different people as possible. If you were being less cynical about it, you could just say they don't know what they're doing. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of... Or Keir Starmer is on the movers. Yeah, that's the other thing. So, the, the, you know, Keir Starmer could feasibly be the name. It's unscripted. Went off script. It's still interesting, though, isn't it, that we, we, we just moved on from the Lib Dems, but both Labour and Conservative leadership are telling us they'll take us out of the EU. 48% of people voted against leaving the EU, and still the Lib Dems get no traction. But, I suppose, yeah, I suppose the, the thing is. Why has Mr Jones not mentioned the new centre party yet? Yeah, I know. He's cleaning it up. I'm contractually obliged not to mention it. He's absolutely okay. dying to mention But, I suppose. The point is that if there was, I did have such a negative vibe about them after the, the coalition period, and as the election was so soon after the Brexit vote, my sort of sense is that most people expected to leave the EU anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you were either in favour of the kind of very Brexity Conservative Party, or you were against them. And I think that's why Labour sort of hoovered up and remember, in a general election, it's not just about Brexit, it's also about your party loyalty, it's about your local MP, it's about the NHS, it's about all sorts of other things. And in 2017, it was about austerity as well. So, you know, with, the parties aren't single issue, general elections aren't single issue. So, I think it's probably less of, an, less of a conundrum than I have perhaps presented it. <laughs> <laughs> but but oh, it's not easy, this is so much simpler than we thought, isn't it? Yeah, everything is simple. But it's all going to reach your head, isn't it? And October, November, as Parliament's meant to be voting on whatever deal there is a deal. It's going to happen. It's, it's crunch time in the next couple of months. Yeah, and and I think. Then there's a general election. There's one thing that's for certain, which is that the Labour Party will vote against any Conservative deal. Because even though they've said they will vote for a deal that passes, that passes Keir Starmer's test, they've got this phrase, jobs first Brexit. And there's, there is a 0.001% chance that whatever Brexit deal they come out with will actually meet those tests. There's no chance that a Theresa May-led Conservative Party, which is attempting to please the Jacob Rees-Mogg's of this world, is going to come up with a, a, a Brexit deal that will please John McDonnell. It's just simply not going to happen. Mm. So we know that 250-something Labour MPs, because minus the, the sort of Labour leavers, will vote against it. We know that a handful of Conservative MPs will vote against it. We know that the SNP will vote against it. So the only question is, will enough Conservative members vote against the Brexit deal to offset the Labour support for the Brexit deal? The, the, the Frank deal. Which we might find out after this weekend.
they've got a boom double can, problem, haven't they? It can't be more disastrous than the last one. Well, when all the letters fell off the stage. <laughs> they had the tagline, working for better Britain, or words to that effect, and yeah. the stage wasn't working. All the letters fell off, yeah. and then someone gave her a P45. And she got a cough. She had the cough. Yeah, everything went peace on. It was embarrassing. Yeah, I reckon it could be worse than that. I reckon the team up for a more disastrous one. But it's that moment when people, voters go from disliking her to just feeling sorry. And when they feel sorry for you, you know you're, that's it. She could get torpedoed at the conference, couldn't she? She could get, because already that people are lining up with, behind the Boris candidacy, potentially. Um, but So I'm going to totally alienate all politics students now by suggesting that Boris might be a Michael Hessen time. Um, so... Like in because they, you know that the politicians don't like Michael Hesseltine. Well, so in 1990, Michael Hesseltine thought he had a chance of running for the Conservative leadership. Margaret Thatcher, he, he stood against Margaret Thatcher. John Major also stood in the leadership competition. And John Major, who was seen as slightly more loyal, but also not Margaret Thatcher, but also not Michael Hesseltine, ended up winning. So it could be that Boris <coughs> Johnson stands against Theresa May and some third person or something. He who wields the sword never takes the, the crown. crown. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. So um, it could be a kind of Sajid Javid type figure, a less tainted individual. That's Mr. Jones's line oh, to, to propose sorry. Michael Gove for something. Yeah, with Set Ru- in the world of uh, the Ruth, Environment Alliance. With Ruth Davison, the Gove Davison. You shouldn't wow. set the Environment Alliance, Binder. That's not that's not pro environment policy. Um, so the Conservative conference could be messy, but there's but because they don't really vote on anything, it's only going to be messy if one of the MPs decides to make it messy. Or things fall down. So if they if they decide to totally disrupt the whole procedure, because Theresa May's got two problems as I see it. She's got a problem from the pro-European um, MPs, which is kind of minor because there's only a handful of them. But she's also got a problem from the sort of hard Brexit, love Brexit, this is the best thing ever MPs, because there's about 80 of them. And if she doesn't please both, she's got to try and please both sides and keep everyone together, but that seems like a rather impossible task. It's almost like it's going to be no deal, isn't it? It's almost like it's going to happen. I feel sorry for Theresa May. What, how can she possibly please all of these people? She shouldn't. It was so obvious that she ran for the job. She put her hat in the ring. But she had chosen to be like Prime Minister at the worst time to be Prime Minister since like 1783. So that's notable bad year. What happened in 1783? America became independent. Oh, 1938 Munich Agreement. Yeah, one for our GCSE historians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, um, so we'll keep you out for the Conservatives this weekend. Let's move on to the US. So right now, in fact, we are 20 minutes in. I think to testimony uh, in the US Senate uh, as Donald Trump's second Supreme Court nomination, Brett. Now, is it Kavanaugh? Or is that just an American way of saying Kavanaugh? No, Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh? Kav. I'm going to feel awkward every time I say it. Kavanaugh. The Kavanator. Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Brett, let's call him Brett. 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 His nomination to the Supreme Court is second nomination. Um, And it's run into some trouble with uh, one... Specific accusation uh, of sexual assault. Before by Christine we start, Ford. should we just say how important the Supreme Court is to start? Yeah, we'll, ju- we'll just say that yeah. we'll say what's going on first. So he's faced uh, a serious accusation of sexual assault by Christine Blasey Ford from back uh, in the early 1980s. 
as well as I think three other women have come forward now. And right now in the Senate, there are hearings in which she is testifying, and I think he is testifying. Yes, yeah, so she's, she's going first. He and uh, so do you want someone to uh, explain then the, the what why the super got matters? So in an era of hyper partisanship, we're actually getting kind of bills through the House and Congress is increasingly difficult. The Supreme Court plays, a, as it said in the Times today, a de facto legislative role. In other words, to change things in America, if you take same-sex marriage as an example, in this country, we passed a bill through the House of Commons to change same-sex marriage. In America, it was the Supreme Court, using its powers of judicial review, that declared same-sex marriage was constitutional, using the Equal Protection Clause, and therefore, same-sex marriage became legal in America. But it became legal through the courts deciding, not through Congress and the legislature deciding. And there's a, there's a long history in America of the courts kind of changing laws by declaring them constitutional or not, affecting social issues such as abortion, Roe versus Wade, uh, dealing with uh, discrimination in, uh, in schools, Brown versus Board of Education, um, deciding on Second Amendment gun rights, DC Hellier. So it's part of a, it's a really big deal in America, and voters in particular, uh, there was a, something in the BBC earlier today saying that for 76% of voters, Supreme Court nominations are a, one of their top priorities when it comes to voting in presidential elections. And a Supreme Court justice, there are only nine of them, and they're appointed for life. So a president, Donald Trump, will not be president in 2025 unless he changes the constitution. If he wins another re-election, he still can only do two terms. But Brett Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, Brett, um, is 53. So in theory, if he lived to the ripe old age of, let's say, 85, then you know he'll be on the Supreme Court in nearing 2050. He would still be there at the middle part of the 21st century. Um, as will Donald Trump's first appointment, Neil Gorsuch. So they're massively consequential appointments. Um, and, and the court will be, I think, would have six conservative members if, if Brett goes in. And it was 5-4, yeah. and Kennedy was that thing. Oh, okay, he was yeah. a yeah. swing voter. So what you did have, previously so you, had, five, four. you had four conservatives, four liberals, and a kind of a swing voter. So Kennedy, for example, voted with the Liberals' wing of the, of the court on, on gay, marriage. gay marriage, but voted with the Conservative wing of the court on Citizens United uh, looking at yeah. party. Okay, uh, okay. Um, so that, that swing voter will go, so you'll have an, an, an entrenched Conservative majority on the court. Bearing in mind the older members of the court as well are from the Liberal side of the court. So you've got some young Conservative judges and some older Liberal ones, so there's every chance that Trump may get several more picks. Yeah, so who is, yeah, who is Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is um, a liberal member of the court, the, she's known as the notorious RBG. Um, she is, I think, in her 90s now. Um, that's, well, I'm quickly Googling. It's 85, sorry, I went overboard. She's 85, so you. clearly, yeah, she could during the Trump administration. What, what, sorry, what, she's not going to retire, so they can retire off the court. So Kennedy is retiring, but judges only tend to retire when the uh, 
they have a, a president who might perhaps support their political views. So if they've been appointed by a Democrat, they're only going to retire if a Democrat is in yeah. office. So the Gorsuch vacancy is interesting, isn't it? Because that, that did St come up under Obama. Were you trying Sorry, I've got a little thing about this. Okay. So Scalia died in uh, Easter of expired. 2016. Not yet, not expired. Uh, he did expire. So he passed away, and it was, what, six months before the presidential election, and the Republicans refused to even start the hearing process. Merrick Garland was nominated by Obama. Garland was seen as being a moderate, so he wasn't a kind of a raving liberal, not on the kind of far side of the liberal wing, uh, and it seemed to be a good pick with good credentials, and the Republicans just blocked the nomination. They blocked it, they blocked it. They didn't block it, they didn't do anything. Yeah, that's, yeah, they didn't even have well, to. Well, they said it was, you know, such a, such a decision of consequence, it should be done with someone who had more time in, in office. Yeah. And the Democrats went, logic. fine, Hillary will sort it out. Yeah, that was the assumption. But that's a good quiz, there'll be a good quiz, quiz question in future years, won't there? Which, who was nominated to the Supreme Court that never got a hearing? And the answer is Mary Gallon. I'll eat my badly chosen words then. <laughs> so, um, so what happens is it's up to the Senate, the US Senate, the 100 US Senators to approve the President's nomination and it goes through committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, which would have about 8, 10, 10 senators? I think 11 because they were making the point that having heard, having Christine testify was not a great look to have 11 men uh, interrogating a woman on her sexual history. But I think Kamala Harris is on the Judiciary Committee. Oh, no, no, Republican, there's, there's 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. Oh, okay, there, sorry. There, 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 there has never been a woman on the Republican Judiciary as okay. a, a, a Republican woman. And, they, and the, the committee then, then question the nominee, don't they? And it's, and it's quite a big story in the news. But this has become even bigger because of these, these accusations, which he denies. And it's an interesting one because it's not a court of law. He's not in a court of law. No one has to prove guilt. That's not what's going on. The question is, do the allegations add up to him being disqualified? And unqualified? Trump has also not spoken out in favour, but he's got, I face these same sort of allegations. They're just People love to come up with allegations. And I don't know, he doesn't seem very... Um, he's, he's indicated a continuing support. Trump did an amazing thing yesterday. Oh, yeah? He did two things in the press, press conference. conference. Number one is... He denied, he said the allegations aren't true. Number one, he said it's fake news. He said the allegations aren't true. But then, he was talking about George Washington, the first president, and he said, hey, well maybe George Washington did some bad things in his past too. Which is weird, because he's sort of accusing George Washington of this as well, which is very weird. <laughs> but, it, but it's also very weird logically, because on the one hand, he's saying that the accusations against Brett are not true. But he's also implying that they are true by saying, hey, other people have had bad stuff as well. And it's just really odd, isn't it? He's saying he's full of contradictions and everything he says doesn't really make sense. I, you know what? I genuinely felt we'd get to the end of this without mentioning Trump. Oh. Well, did did you really think we would... Yeah, I did. did you I see him a minute ago. In I front of you're the a man. Yeah. He was in front of the UN in New York and he made a statement that said we've had the most successful, greatest ever two years of the start of any presidency ever. And then there was just a slow laughter in As the whole translation built up and built up. <laughs> And everyone was just laughing at him. And he then grinned and laughed back in a knowing way and went... Wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah. But kind of that look said, yeah, I know this is rubbish as well. This no, 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 because he was the first guy who was saying, they were laughing with me. They were laughing with me. That's yeah. who genuinely thinks they're laughing with him. Then he said, <laughs> the Fox News 
version of that edited out the laugh there, which is the sort of thing like the Kazakhstan state news channel must do when their leader's on TV. Just be like, you and, everyone, and everyone respectfully listen to our glorious president and respect him what he has to say. I, I bet you know the capital of Kazakhstan, don't you? It is, a star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Right, okay, so the, the Supreme Court, here, one of the hearings is happening today, um, and the vote... The vote will presumably take place before the midterms, although I suppose there's a chance that they won't. I don't know. Some would probably say, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it on Friday. Yeah. Crack on with and it. Because it doesn't matter what it is. And the, re- the Republicans have a majority in the Senate, so one would expect the vote to go in their favour. But there are two senators, both Republicans, uh, who are known as rhinos, Republicans in name only because they don't always vote with the party, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Makowski of Alaska. And if their vote shifts... And, and, and to their vote may, may shift based on these accusations, then, then, then it'll be a trouble. There's also Jeff Blake, who's retiring from the Senate and is a known disliker of Donald Trump and has written a book about leadership which basically criticizes Trump. So there's, there's a strong, and he's also on the Senate Judicial Committee. So he could do a John McCain esque anti Trump down in flames stand yeah. in, this, in this kind of instance. So there are potentially three, three people who can go against him, but there is not a complete lack of a possibility that a Democrat could vote for Kavanaugh because there are a few Democrats in red states who are going to be under threat, and they could vote for him in order to shore up their kind of centrist appeal. So it's not impossible that that could happen. In addition, and we'll come on to this in a second, if, if the Democrats took the Senate in November then it makes it very hard for Republicans to get their nominee through. And there will be Republicans who, whose belief in conservatism and having a conservative on the court outweighs any uncomfortableness they may have about the accusations against him, and they'll just ride out. And because, because the thing is, this isn't an elected office. If they put him in, they put him in. Yeah, they, and they get actually come out. So. And Trump, whether they don't like Trump, he might be gone in two or six years' time. Yeah. But as you say, uh, Brett will be there for you know, another 30-odd years. There's, before we move on, there's two very interesting points to quickly point out. In the, the Senate hearings uh, and the votes that they then have are getting tighter and tighter, more and more on hyper-partisanship lines. So when Ginsburg, or the notorious, uh, was uh, voted in, I think the vote was like 96 nil, 97 or something. It may have been 98 yeah, but yeah. It was huge, whereas the uh, Neil Gorsuch one was really tight on party lines, 55 so it's getting tighter and tighter. And also, the question is, why isn't Trump just pulling it? If they're worried about losing the Senate. Why don't they just pull well, the nomination losing and get some... Because they've got other Conservative judges. Yeah, so but he, 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 he lost. He hates losing. But is it firing up the base for the midterms? They're kind of reveling well, in the let, let, Let's finish then by just looking at the predictions for the midterms that are coming up. So uh, we're going to steal uh, the predictors from 538.com. They've got a good podcast as well. Not as good as this. Um, they must have heard. They don't have their. They must have heard. What's it called? It's a go-go bell. They don't have a go-go bell. Do you ever hear that podcast and then went, we should get one of these things? Yeah, and not do it as well. Anyway, but they they, they, they do have better computers than us and we've better got minds. Computers today. That's true. We've got the facts, <laughs> haven't we? But they they've done two things. They they've done a prediction and forecast for the house. So. In November, every seat in the U.S. House of Representatives is up for election, all 435 of them. They have two-year terms, so there's an election for every seat in the House of Representatives. 
in the Senate, there are 100 seats, and um, not all of them are up for grabs, a third of them each time, and this time it is a grand total 35. of 35 seats. So, in the House, the House isn't that exciting to discuss, actually, because um, there's a quite a high chance, 538 go for a 4 in 5 chance that the Democrats will win it from the Republicans. Why is it not exciting? Um, just because um, it's hard to discuss individual seats, I think, so, that, so we don't know enough about individual seats. Um, the Democrats are about nine or ten points ahead in the national polls, which translates um, to a small majority, about um, 17, I think, majority for the Democrats, if it pans out as they said so. Um, it's in the Senate, though, I think it's really interesting, because obviously Trump is very, very unpopular. Approval ratings are around 35, 38? Yeah, something like that. So the Republican candidate is unpopular. It's traditional in the midterm for the President's Party to get a bit of a kicking, very rare that they don't. Yeah. Obama got what he described as a shellacking in 2010. This is how many they've lost under under a midterm. So in 2014, Obama lost 13 in the House and 9 in the Senate. Uh, so that's nothing going into 2010. That's a loss of 63. Yeah, so the Democrats lost 63 seats in the House back in 2010. They got an absolute uh, yeah. shellacking. Um, and so, so you'd expect that to happen. Um, but in the Senate, the Democrats face a very specific disadvantage. Um, and the disadvantage is um, that only Nine. The eight Republican seats are up, are up for grabs. So the Republicans only have to defend nine seats, which isn't that hard. Whereas the Democrats have to defend, if I could do my maths, which I can't, 27. Yeah, 20. Is it 27? I think yeah, so of the, of the actual Democrat ones there, you've got 20, you've got 26, so 26 Democrat seats, so it's hard for them to defend all of those seats, where it's easier for the Republicans to defend their eight. So when people say it's a bad map for the Democrats, because remember, in the Senate, only a third of the seats go up for election at any given time, so um, the, the Democrats could be well and truly banjaxed by the lack of... mention of banjax. So they could be banjaxed by the lack of opportunities to win. So it's a good chance, even though the national poll, the national vote goes against the Republicans, it's a good chance we could have exactly the same layout in the Senate after the midterms. Yeah, and, and in fact, 538 and their expertise only actually states one Republican seat that's presently held that they really think of as a toss-up that could go either way, and I think that's Nevada. So it could be, you could end up Four as well with the possibility of a 50-50 race, which would mean that the pre Vice President would break, would break deadlocked votes. So that that is a very exciting possibility, isn't it? Particularly yeah. if that essay comes up for like the power of the vice oh. presidency. <laughs> Mike Pence there are as president of the Senate would, would do a lot. So there's some really interesting races to look at in the Senate. The two for me that stand out in Florida, so Rick Scott is defending uh, his seat. And at the moment, Bill Nelson is got a five and it's got a 60% chance of winning it in 538 and a couple of other polls come out today so he's definitely up and Florida is a really interesting state because it's a it's a purple state isn't it it's a swing state for presidentials and the governor race there is also very interesting because you have two quite different candidates you almost have that partisanship really uh, kind of come kind of accentuated there don't you you've got Andrew Gillum as this young Democrat left-wing kind of part of the party, 
who is up against Ron DeSantis, and his election video saw his kid building a wall, and he was reading bits of Trump's autobiography to his kids. So you have two very extreme... <laughs> As I did. Nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Do you like night, kids? No, we're going to do so much with Merrick, it. it's story time. <laughs> Can you say art of the deal? Merrick, it's time to do some winning. You're going to be tired of all the winning. Merrick accent. Do you know what? That is a strong name. That's actually true. That's... Okay. To the register deal. office. Check. <laughs> if you deal. Know, just we're change up. your own name. <laughs> That's even easier. Right, okay, let's, let's wrap this up. That was a lovely little first podcast, wasn't it? Should we do this again? Yeah, come back Yeah, let's do it in about two weeks, I reckon. Any dates to diary? Yeah, I want to promote Think Tank. Think Tank is coming up on the 12th of October. We've got um, Manuel Espitia talking to us direct, direct from New Hampshire. Uh, where he's running for the state legislature. Wow, we're going we're international. Going international I'm people. so excited. <laughs> and what's his name again? Manuel Espitia. Yes, what is this? It's brilliant. Did you know what this is? I love New Hampshire. I pitched it that we're a high-flying political podcast. <laughs> yeah. He thinks he's talking to four thousand people in a, in a <laughs> time, yeah. the Times Red Box. If you say who we're matching, yeah, yeah so just, just check us out. We, we were fiftieth when we did the one with the once. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Bye. 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 Brilliant, that's good. Right, I've now got to write.